Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Red Med Podcast, Rescue, Expedition and Disaster Medicine, where we provide a platform for healthcare professionals working in or aspiring to join rescue, expedition and disaster response teams. A platform to share information, advice and opportunities and connect like-minded Red Med individuals in our community. Welcome everybody to the first episode of the Red Med Podcast, where we discuss rescue, expedition and disaster medicine. I'm joined here by Chris Sharp, our crew chief at SOS and RedMed. Um, welcome, Chris. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be here. Eventually, we've uh, we've been mulling this over, drank lots of cups of tea and coffee, trying to decide how we'd launch this, and we decided to do what we normally do, and that is cuff it. And drink tea and talk. <laughs> so it should flow okay. Well, just to add a little bit of context as to who we are and where we're going with this, um, Chris and I work with... SOS Medical Services in Guatemala. We're the, the directors of SOS and Heli SOS, an air ambulance and search and rescue unit in Guatemala. Um, I'm the director of the company, served 14 years in the British Army, then went back out to the Middle East as a contractor working as a paramedic for embassies, oil rigs, etc. Doing a bit of primary care, emergency care. I've led expeditions around Europe, about around Central America. Climb Lorizaba, Aconcagua, I'm passionate about mountaineering, especially in cold places. I'm commando, Arctic warfare trained, a fellow of the Academy of Wilderness Medicine, and really that's where my passion is. I love being on the helicopters, I love being on critical care ambulances, but my passion has been out in the wilderness and with like-minded people. Uh, I'm the other Chris. Uh, I fortunately prefer to fly over the mountains, uh, I was been flying 28 years. I've just topped 15,000 hours. I'm on about 6,000 rescues. Uh, I'm the chief, chief air crewman for the Heli SOS project and the lead flight paramedic overseeing the local guys that we employ and subsequently all their training towards international standards of operation. 
I love any country, but I've uh, now settled in Guatemala. Uh, my hobbies include survival training because knowledge weighs nothing uh, as a mantra that I picked up. And uh, like I say with Chris, it's, we've been talking about this for a while, uh, and it's the aim is to put some of our experience, which is globally, uh, across to those who potentially want to kind of go in this direction. Fantastic. Yeah, Chris and I met about 10 years ago on a, a paramedic course, a wilderness first responder course in Guatemala. Since then, we've trained the British military, established the training wing in SOS. Uh, now we've taken the first National Association of EMTs chapter forward in Guatemala. We're delivering tech courses, TCCC, PHTLS, all hazards disaster response, and AMLS courses, all of which are improving standards in the pre-hospital environment in Guatemala. So that's really where our passion lies, as well as helping underserved communities. So this podcast is supported by SOS Coffee. Uh, it's gourmet Guatemalan coffee produced by Guatemalans in Guatemala, sold to Guatemalans, uh, and we use the proceeds to go back into the community. Recently, we've done free CPR courses and bleeding control courses for hundreds of citizens around Guatemala. And we also use it to buy medicines and kit to go out and do medical missions and clinics in remote areas, in some cases where people haven't seen doctors in decades. So to everyone out there that's attended the courses and bought the coffee, thanks very much. I'm enjoying SOS Coffee now. If you guys want to buy some, you can hit us up on the website or the uh, podcast or on YouTube and we'll get in touch. Chris is obviously drinking tea because he's still got his English roots. <laughs> and it makes you strong. Quality. <laughs> so this is, it's really a huge field. I mean, where do we start with Red Med? Rescue, expedition and disaster. We're probably going to overlap a little bit into wilderness medicine. There's an overlap in the terminology anyway. Tactical medicine. Uh, and my favourite at the moment, the trifecta. Using the same helicopter and the same crew for both critical care transports, air ambulance and search and rescue, which really only happens in underserved communities and under-resourced services. So it's a huge melting pot. There's lots of ingredients, and I guess, where do we start? What is RedMed? I, I think to start, you really need to first look at the differences between, if we say, traditional pre-hospital medicine and, for example medicine where we are today in the middle of a, a monsoon <laughs> uh, what are the key differences when you're out on your own either on an expedition I kick you out of a helicopter on a winch, a hoist, a short haul whatever what are the differences because people can be quickly out of their place because yeah. uh, you know I have a, a saying for doctors doctors belong inside with bright lights <clears throat> not all uh, some paramedics do because they're in the comfort zone in the ambulance, which, for example, the United States and Europe are greatly advanced to what we have here. But then when you take that comfort zone away from somebody and the physics of you actually have to carry these things, is this is where you coin the term red med. Is, it is a different discipline as such yeah. that yeah. encompasses all the, the traditional skills using gaffer tape yeah exactly it's a bit of MacGyver potentially adapted requires more initiative alright so we've got the pre-hospital environment the hospital environment 
and then the red med environment is taking those subject matter experts some of which may come from the hospital a lot of them will have experience in the pre-hospital environment it's probably easier to translate across but then putting those the knowledge and skills potentially out the comfort zone if people haven't been involved in this environment or haven't had the training and then adapt into a dynamic environment a limited resource environment we've always said what's the difference between the pre-hospital environment in an ambulance and the pre-hospital environment in a tactical environment it's very similar maybe limited light maybe less equipment maybe more pressure maybe you're understaffed there's only one medic on the team you might have multiple casualties and you also, if you think time uh, in the street setting, it's time, you've got response times, time on scene. And you can have the extremes, as you know, you can either have, you've got very little time due to the scenario that you're faced with, or you're in an extended patient care, which takes you way beyond what is your normal scope of practice. But for example, Guatemala, it's now monsoon we can't come and pick you up. So you may there be for an extended 72-hour period. Or interestingly, we just took a phone call five minutes before this podcast and we've sent the air ambulance to go and pick up a cardiac arrest, uh, not cardiac arrest, um, a victim of a myocardial infarction, heart attack, and, and now it's chucking it down with rain. Hopefully they're going to find a way to get back to us, but if not... They're going to be stuck in the middle of nowhere doing ACLS or prolonged field care trying to improvise and use our yeah. plan B and ground transport to get back so it's the, the time time and resources I think are the big issue and then the ability, a lot of it to me is planning and preparation uh, the five P's I'm not repeating because it's a podcast but prevent <laughs> bad performance uh, Everything to me that involves rescue, expedition, or disaster, we don't need any more dead heroes. Everything can be pre planned, pretty much. Uh, there's obviously the Murphy factor, the fudge factor, but proper planning, looking forward, risk management, all the words that I used to hate that you used to tell me, that they all do apply. And if you think of any eventuality, you can't obviously equip for that because you've still got, like when we run a wellness course, pick a wellness med kit, then half it and then half it because you've still got to have room for your own food, your own water, or else you've got to carry it and not be tired at the end of the day. Yourself. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. For me, whether you integrate as a medical professional into a rescue team or you're the team medic on an expedition or you deploy with a disaster management team, apart from navigation, communications, prolonged field care, wilderness medicine, the, the differences in the epidemiology and the different environments. The biggest thing people need to consider first is they need to be able to look after themselves in that environment. They've got to be self-sufficient. If you're not accustomed to that environment, all of a sudden you've got athletes foot, you've got blisters and you can't keep up with the group, you become a casualty yourself and you can't help the group. If you can't carry the weight of your rucksack and you become fatigued or dehydrated, it affects your decision making and then the group's got to carry the, the medical professional equally the, the situation's so dynamic you might find yourself alone you might get separated from the group so you've got to be able to survive you've got to be able to navigate you've got to be able to set up communications and ultimately 
We'll talk about roles and responsibilities in each of the different spheres later on. But prevention's better than cure. Preventative medicine is key. So whilst we integrate into these teams, and we may already be responding to disasters and casualties, in a lot of cases we're just accompanying a rescue team or an expedition team. And we want to prevent problems rather than deal with them. And it's also, we get a lot of guys here for the helicopter, as you know, I want to repel, I want to short haul, I want to do all these things. But it's, I'm going to put you at 10,000 feet in the middle of a jungle on the side of a volcano. <clears throat> I need to know that I'm not creating more casualties. Uh, can you physically look after yourself, thinking back to the hierarchy of rescue, the rescuer should never need rescuing, the golden rule. Can you look after yourself? Then do you have the skills to look after your patient, possibly for an extended period of time? Uh, the rescue we did three years ago with the missing tourists that we found, the possibility of you being stuck on the side of a volcano... Was high. <laughs> ...was very high yeah. for at least three days. Yeah. And it's, can you trust... Me, as a crew chief, can I trust to put you in in the first place? Or else am I negligent? I know we don't have that kind of laws here as such, but I would be negligent. And to be honest, the medic, as in this case it was you, you would be negligent to do it in the first place. Because then I put the remainder of the team at risk if they have to uh, come in to get and me. And you're putting us at risk to put essentially a non-competent person on the side yeah. just for the benefit of a rescue. Whereas, is that risk worth it? So a lot of it is risk management. Uh, There's a lot of risk management. I mean, more and more popular. Expeditions are more and more popular these days, more accessible. There's a lot of charity expeditions. Guys can sign up at the drop of a hat. People may or may not be experienced in the expedition environment. They may or may not be fit enough. So the expedition medics, paramedics, doctors, offshore medics, nurses may face more challenges. So this is where they need to do the, the homework. And we've got a whole podcast episode on this about the pre-planning, doing medical questionnaires and follow-ups with clients prior to deploying to make sure that people are able and equipped mentally, psychologically, and they've got the equipment and medicines to manage their own conditions so they don't become a drain on the healthcare professional. Yeah, when you talk expeditions, you can also include your extreme sports, right? Guatemala here, you've got extreme mountain biking, kayaking, rafting, paragliding. Where they do take, I use a medic in commas, uh, probably a first aider in international standards, uh, totally ill-equipped, totally ill-trained to support a family group that they know no previous medical history, Obviously, Max, who will probably feature later, he ran me up the other day, he said, I've got a client, they've got this problem, this is the time we're coming out. So at least I know what river they're in, but he is one of the few that asks people, do you have any medical conditions? Yeah, yeah. Whereas you'll get a local whoever with a big bag of bandages, probably a spinal board, a C-collar, that's totally the wrong equipment for what they're doing. They slow everybody down, they normally do it in uniform, so on a day like this, they're in thick cotton overalls, no communications with everybody, and the actual 
because they carry that much kit, they then become the problem rather yep. than assisting in the cure. And I think a lot of it is whether it's a rescue expedition or disaster management environment, we become more adept to, to these environments these days and there's paramedics and doctors, surgeons who specifically dedicate themselves to this. But I guess this initial discussion is for those who haven't been in that environment but aspire to work with groups like that. And the biggest thing you need to do is your research. You've got to do your research into what does it involve what specific skills do I need? What environment am I going in? What's the epidemiology? What's the, the pattern of injuries and diseases in that particular area and associated with that activity? And, and what knowledge and skills do I need to be able to manage it? It's all well and good learning about malaria and taking malaria prophylaxis, but if you're going into the lowlands of Guatemala where it doesn't exist, but you're going to be rafting, perhaps your training should be more focused on prevention and identification of dengue and head injuries. Yeah, and you can also, outside the spectrum of traditional medicine, is things like dentistry, uh, removing ticks and bites, which seem common, but they happen a lot. There's a lot of misrumor on the internet of how to treat these things. But in a tropical environment, especially here, if you take a tick out the wrong way, you've caused a massive sepsis problem. Uh, Dentistry. Anybody who's ever had a hole in the tooth, that is a showstopper. Oh, yeah. yeah Especially definitely. if you're serving a client, not only on as a patient advocate, but if you're a company paying clients, part of the paying services, you're there to support them. Keeping them comfortable yeah. and able and to carry on with their tooth And they hate every second of it. Essentially, you've failed your boss, your client, yeah. by not looking after the paying customer. Uh, so there's a lot like so the background research do I need to look take specific training go and see a dentist I haven't got a full dentist suite I've got one of those little I used to carry the life systems oh, the red thing fantastic yeah uh, just enough just enough and then go to a dentist and say it's got instructions what do I actually do with show it? me how to use show it show me how to use it and there's, you know me there's no such thing as egos in this job uh, be humble and say, I've got this kit, how can I use it to its best potential? I'm not a dentist, and maybe yeah. dentists will roll their eyes if they think a critical care paramedic's going to attempt that in the field, but in the absence of anybody yeah. else. Best case scenario, you want to take a paramedic, a dentist, a dermatologist, a gastroenterologist, a couple of guys to carry your stretches, but really, you've got to cut that in half and cut it in half again and do and the same with a, your a small bag inside your rucksack. Yeah. So it's, what do you take? And then knowledge. that comes down to your, your knowledge, which weighs nothing, your pre-planning, pre-screening of all the people. It's all about preparation. Uh, planning, preparation, and then more planning and preparation. Planning your documents, your personal documents, your, your plan A and your plan B, what happens if you lose your documents, how are you going to cross borders, what equipment you can get across the borders and what paperwork you need, can you locally source your medications... Um, cultural differences, language preparation, and then be prepared for that dynamic day, the, the day that things change. Most of the things that you're going to experience will be pre-seen, pre-planned. If you do a thorough risk assessment and you break down your your risk assessment based on it three categories, as a general generic uh, review, you can look at the risks 
which are inherent with the people you're taking. Are they younger clients, older clients? Have you got obese people in the group? Have you got pre-existing conditions? Then you've got the risks associated with the environment, the altitude, the heat, the cold, snakes, spiders. And then you've got the risks associated to the activity. Are you going to be paragliding, hiking, hydroboarding? Each one of those can be broken down into who can be affected, how can they be affected, what risk mitigation or risk management measures we can put in place. Are they tolerable? Are they acceptable? If not, can we transfer them or can we bolster our mitigation measures? And once you've done that, it's a long paperwork exercise, but it really is worthwhile because it helps you transfer the risk, helps you plan, and you get no surprises. One of the, the biggest, we've talked about this a couple of times, one of the biggest surprises we had, and it probably shouldn't have been a surprise, was working as an offshore medic for an oil company in Kurdistan. Got a big clinic, big primary care clinic, an ambulance, and every day we were seeing Peshmerga soldiers treating dermatitis and athletes for maybe some chest pain, some GI issues, dishing out antibiotics. Three days later, we'd lost all of that, and we were in a trench dealing with ISIS. We had 2,000 ISIS fighters trying to attack the oil rig, and we literally had what we had on our belts. You're expected to perform the same miracles under slightly different conditions, but the equipment and the drugs completely changed, and it was all... All improvisation, dealing with gunshot wounds, scorpion stings, heat injuries. And what, what people put, you've got to do all that whilst in the same situation, with the same fatigue, the same heat, the same dehydration as everybody else. Yeah. You've then got to step up to do your job. Maintain your composure Even and psychological Even 2 a.m. when they go, Doc, wake up, you've got to get up. Yeah. Uh, because if you don't, that might be the one, A, your reputation goes... And that might be the one, five minutes later, they've been, I know you've had it, stung by a scorpion, you might be dead. Uh, that was brilliant. The guy knocked on my door at 3am, as you know. Doctor, doctor, itchy foot, itchy foot. I'm obviously not a doctor, just a paramedic. Uh, doctor, doctor, itchy foot. 3am, I walked out, yes, it's an itchy foot, he's got athlete's foot. Come to the clinic tomorrow morning, we'll have a look at him. But the guy was working night shift, so he didn't turn up. That same night... 3am, knocked on the door, doctor, doctor, itchy foot, itchy foot. Yeah, it's the same athlete's foot, come back tomorrow please. You obviously get cry wolf syndrome, he knocked on my door the third night, doctor, doctor, itchy foot. I answered the door and there's a guy convulsing on the floor in front of me, being stung by a scorpion and 30 seconds later he's uh, having tonic-clonic seizures and respiratory arrest. Yeah, you can't afford to cry wolf. And, and almost to cry wolf, what part of the planning a big thing you find we find here is they do all the planning and they have this either communications plan there's no cell phone coverage or your smartphone goes dead within 15 minutes like they all do nowadays or they'll bring a sat phone but or the local gonna... guides have no credit on their yeah. phones and it's like who are you going to call for example here there is no as such Central Rescue Coordination Centre. A lot of it is, if you want any level of service, you have to pay for it. So part of your research is, who do I call? What are their capabilities? Yeah. What are their capabilities? Are they actually any good? Uh, or are they, although there's Smurfs, I've got nothing against Smurfs, running and jumping <laughs> on a helicopter. Minions are better than Smurfs. Uh, but you've got the communications. And then 
part of this, obviously I, I did 10 years military police, is risk mitigation for yourself because you've written it all down so should unfortunately it go wrong have you communicated it you've communicated it but then you've got an auditable record to say I did all this it was simply an accident we had bad luck the rain turned like now with thunderstorms but I'd done all my planning and I'm I think professional in a big organisation like let's say a search and rescue team in the US you've got predetermined SOP standard operation procedures some of these international disaster groups that deploy in support of disaster operations have standard operating procedures but you're always going to have the situation that falls outside of that where you've got to adapt or in for example in Guatemala where you've got smaller private companies you haven't got that interoperability maybe you don't have the in-depth planning and you might do a risk assessment on a case-by-case basis and it's very easy to overlook that process yeah, um, it's very it's, like you said it's a case-by-case it's a country-by-country country, yeah. but not just Guatemala that we've had many cases I can't speak to the person that I'm looking at on the ground because I'm in a helicopter the guy I'm looking at can't speak to the person next to him because they're different even though they're all first responders as a caveat they all work for different departments, so they don't speak to each other. But it can happen, it's happened in the military when the Americans did small island somewhere, nobody could speak to each other. The one where they filmed Heartbreak Ridge. Uh, it happens everywhere. There's that unit interoperability, which is obviously a subject in its own. But people have to remember, we can't speak to anybody with air traffic control. Yeah, we come under aeronautical search and rescue, but that's solely for aviation. They can landline and phone and WhatsApp to other people yep. and then relay it back to us. But And this is the kind of thing that you don't suffer in the US or Canada or Europe. You just don't suffer it. But once we start and get into Latin American countries on jungle expeditions, on mountain expeditions in the Himalayas, you probably haven't got that interagency, interoperability and communication so your planning has got to be yeah. so much more thorough. You've got to do your reconnaissance, go and visit these organisations. You might not be able to get around it, but at least you know that that was a gap. You've got to know the gap exists. I know now, if I fly down to the coast, I can't speak to anybody. Because, so don't rely on anyone. Yeah, rely on the team that we take, so therefore we have to adequately train the team that we're taking so you become that self-sufficient unit. So talking about training, we've uh, on the back of this podcast, we've put together a course, you and I, Red, Red Med, Rescue Expedition, Disaster Medicine. And it's not essentially designed to teach people how to be medics. It's for existing medics so that they can have an understanding of the fundamentals to safely prepare and integrate into a red team, wherever it may be. Every situation's different, every operation's different, but you've got the core fundamentals. And it's, it, I'd say it's similar to the Advanced Wilderness Life Support course. You can take a physician from the ER give them this training and it allows them to integrate into an, a wilderness or expedition team. No surprises, you understand what you're getting into, the inherent <coughs> risks. So uh, I guess we can talk a, a little bit about the course really. I think the next episode is going to be more in-depth about that. What, what's the course going to include and how are we going to offer it? Uh, I think we, we've kind of moulded a lot of courses. We've talked about it for years. Um, 
we've now got Guatemala as a playground. Uh, we've got coastal, we've got swamps, we've got high altitude, we've got very high altitude, we've got almost desert, we've got obviously jungle, as you can hear in the background, thunder and lightning and monsoons. Yeah, 300 microclimates, yeah. I think they say. We, we've got a playground where we've like water rafting. It's the perfect place to learn yeah. medicine in context. And I think we both, we both have a military background, and the way they're not, military's not great for everything, but they're training, not in the early days, but it's real life. So the idea of this is to give you the background. Maybe you've never packed a rucksack before. If you come here today and it's not, everything you own will be wet and you won't be able to use it. And then you become a casualty. So it's to give people, to me, the not the whole, I'm going to use the word toolbox, but part of the toolbox where they can develop what, where they want to go. Uh, let's look at how to put on a rucksack. So you can look at people in your group and say, excuse me, you're wearing your rucksack wrong. Yeah. And then that saves you tomorrow morning, somebody with a bad back who can't walk. They've got blisters. I think toolbox is a good or toolkit is a good idea. So I'm going to we, look we at. We can give people a range of different acronyms to help plan. Uh, each country has got different ones: Americans, British, Europeans. A lot of the same, but it's what works for you. And um, but then we have the ability of because where we are, we can take you, give you an introduction to planning, preparation, the depth that... It's a lot of depth, but once you're used to it, it's you've already got the format, you've just got to fill it in. Uh, so the course takes us all the way back to zero, yeah. and it, it's a progressional toolkit for healthcare professionals to allow them to slowly integrate into a red team to give them the, the tools to plan and prepare an operation anywhere in the yeah. world. So we're going to look at... Documentation, communications, documentation, communications, risk management, risk, risk management, assessment, travel kind of restrictions, especially cross border with drugs, especially Latin America, uh, for obvious reasons. Medical kits, how to select, prepare, choose, carry. And then we've kind of designed, well, you've designed uh, a kit because I hate, I've always hated, you do a course with kit you've never seen before that you'll never see again, where the idea is, part of this is, we will sell a kit at the end, but that's the same one that you use the same bag, you know where everything is, it's all standard packed. Yeah. So if you go back to France, and then three months later you go, hello Chris, I'm coming out to Guatemala, you get stuck on a hill, I can throw you the same rucksack and you know where everything is. You, you know, know what's in there, standardised. And you practice with it, you train with it. Rain or shine, it doesn't matter. But then we can take you, we can teach you basic survival. The priorities of survival haven't changed for millions of years, but we'll do it for real. In, there are real creepy crawlies, real spiders, some horrible things. The weather. Welcome to Guatemala, yeah. Shrooken. Uh Introduce you to helicopters and safety. Uh, for example, Europe, uh, most of America, you've got state-sponsored search and rescue. Probably 
you won't be part of that air crew because that takes many years of training, etc. But Australia, certain parts of the states where you've got sheriff helicopters that they pick mountain rescue teams up, fly them, short haul them, repel them. They put guys into awkward places because then they can do the job when they get there. It just saves them seven days walking there. We can take you and give you the basic skills and then we will put you into some of these areas, run scenarios and do it real. Some of the places I know we've looked at, we have had real rescues there. So at the same time you're there and learning, we can show you what actually happened, how we did it. Review the cases. Review it. If you've got, as a student, any points to feedback to you, to me, I'm more than welcome. Uh, So there's no ego. If you say, why didn't you do this? I never thought of that. Uh, We're not the Bible at all this. It's just we do it every day out here. We've got, between us, 40 years of experience. That's just me and you. There's the other guys we've got. And it's to put people and expose them to how different it is. It's almost like a condensed the AWS course that you did, which involved lots of different locations. This is more kind of central. However, I can fly you 15 minutes from the city. If you get lost where I drop you off, it'll take about four weeks for people to walk you there because you're over the mountain range. You're in the rainforest. Yeah. You're stuck. So the, the beauty is that the course is going to take everybody back to basics to look at the theoretical aspects of integration of the team with risk management, equipment selection, pre-training, communications, navigation, personal survival, um, all the kind of epidemiology that you might see. We'll focus on specifics, um, things like hypothermia, altitude illness, diving injuries, um, maybe malaria, burns, stuff like that. Even if there's anarchy following a disaster, you might get active shooters, so we'll look at catastrophic bleeds, etc. maybe a little bit of TCCC, um, and following on from that, prolonged field care. And so I think the concept is that we look at the theoretical parts first with the on-site course and the manual. And as Chris alluded to, everything's in context. So we learn about altitude whilst we're at altitude. We learn about venomous bites and stings. We'll have some venomous snakes in the classroom under the control of a herpetologist, obviously. We'll learn about uh, head injuries, spinal injuries, drowning, submersion injuries, whilst we're rafting through the jungles. Uh, we'll talk about helicopter safety and short haul, etc., and survival, actually in the field, in survival situations with the kit uh, and with the helicopters. And then right at the end of the course, the team will work together to plan a search and rescue, considering the high hierarchy of rescue, search patterns, lost person behaviour, We'll have to prepare all the maps, communications, prepare their medical equipment, decide if it's appropriate for the environment, plan the helicopter, and we'll literally do a search, rescue, and recovery. I think it's based on like, all the things you wish you'd been taught, all the things that I wish I'd been taught, or I have been taught in 28 years, I wish I'd have had them all in one week. Or we've learned through mistakes. Yeah. Or lessons learned from the search and rescues here, uh, like all the search reports we've done are available so people can read to see the pre-planning, the, the middle planning, how to notify clients, uh, family members, yep. how to word things, because obviously there's a big legal issue because there's insurance, etc., etc. So all that's available, obviously 
confidentiality, all the names and everything is on. But it gives people the whole context, the, the whole, the whole from start to finish. Whether it be an expedition, a rescue, they're all pretty much similar because you're out in the middle of nowhere, in the climate, with what you've got on your back. Uh, I've got a big bag in the back of the helicopter. I probably never see it, so I have what I've got in the vest. But very quickly, if we have an engine failure, we're now potentially surviving with casualties for a long period of time because That's we've got nobody, scenario. there's yeah. nobody to pick us up. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's what we that's why we've designed it how we have is so it's it's what we've learned over the years put into a course and by we what we've learned from you guys from yeah. the whole red community lessons learned yeah. by everybody and integrated and it's, it's not, it's, there's other instructors it's not just our voices but it's everybody's we spoke to put a valuable piece of information in of why don't you do it this way or have you thought about this so rather than a boring PowerPoint for 12 hours, is a few key concepts on the PowerPoint. Maybe a video or a scenario, because obviously we GoPro a lot of things. And then Review let's, a case. let's go out, practice it. Practice it, and, make mistakes. And do it like the military way, do it practical, do it real. Uh, one of the EMT courses I run the other year, the, one of the guys, he said, he, he does assessment. And he said, a lot of people who do our casualty evacuation, we're going to carry people out. As you know, we carried that guy two kilometres up the side of the hill in Shella. Yeah. It took 12 people. And it's... And maybe missed our weather window. Yeah, and the helicopter's like, we're going because of the weather's coming in. (laughs) So when people say casualty evacuation, do you have the means? Okay, you can modify. So we'll show you different types I like one version, you like a different version. But when it goes wrong, what's your plan B? But you've now got a range of options. Well, I haven't got any rope, but I can use this, I can use this. But then you realise how hard moving people is. And you look for ways to make it more efficient. And what happens if I lose? We've also, as we've experienced, when don't you move people? Uh, If they are deceased, that judgement call that's probably not in your... PHCLF protocols, yeah, we've got recognition of life extincts, all those kind of things, but we've got no monitors for assistance. And sometimes, even if they're alive, is it easier, is it more viable to move patients from where they're stable out in the field to a hospital or yeah. to an improvised helicopter landing site, which might take hours or days? Or if you, have, if you have the comfort and skill, as I, I know we probably would. Okay. Stay in play. The weather today, we can stay, we can build a, a, a lean-to shelter, we can start a fire. They're not going anywhere. Wait and for other resources to come to us and yeah, then the evacuation will be more efficient. request ACLS, more surgeons. We can then take the American-European concept of, for example, the helicopter taking the hospital to them. So we're a patient advocate. We've done prolonged field care with very limited resources. Reducing got, the risk to our team. Yeah, or we're going to climb down, for example, Akatanango tonight in this weather with a patient. We'd probably all end up with broken ankles. So it's to give people that I've experienced now falling out of a white water raft <laughs> with a patient who we've got on a stretcher who can't swim, but I've done it. 
and I can remember I've done it, and this is where it went wrong. This is what I used. It just gives people a bit more confidence. And to experience that in a controlled environment then enhances your ability to critically think and make decisions under pressure in the field. Yeah. Uh, so, in a nutshell, the concept is to... Come down, come learn, down, have fun. Ha- have fun, drink coffee or tea, but if you want <laughs> to drink tea, you have to fetch it. Uh, learn in a, a controlled but very, very real environment where, obviously, risk management-wise, you are, at some stages, you will be in the middle of nowhere. You will probably be the best equipped medical unit there. Uh, there is obviously a safety net built in with that, with a helicopter and things for students. But you will be far better equipped than anybody from miles around, with far better knowledge. And it's just practising... Uh, I did a survival course to the, a couple of months ago and everyone was on about fire and it was raining like this so I said, go on, I'm going to make a fire and everybody looked at me. Uh, it was a group of doctors from the UK in the jungle and I went, go make a fire. They've all got fire starters that they don't really know how to use because they've only watched YouTube. They've even got, I even gave some a lighter and a strip of rubber because it's raining they don't know how to start a fire. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's interesting. But I tried this at home. Yeah, you tried it at home in the comfort of your own garden in Somerset. Now you're in the middle of Sarasangil jungle. Yeah. There's wild jaguars, vipers, fertile lances, and you can't light a fire, and it's raining, and you're now getting hypothermic. And you're not thinking straight because you're under yeah. pressure. And you're dehydrated, you're hypoglycemic. But people will experience that. They'll learn how to do it. But they've also got the, the almost the umbrella of safety of the instructors watching them. Uh, that survival course, we only interjected when we need to. It's you spend people spend like we're, we're as bad as each other. We spend money on kit. It's shiny, it's Gucci, but it doesn't work, or it does work. I just don't know how to use it. Most You've of never taken out the box. Yeah. yeah. Or I've read the instructions, but now it's raining, it's dark, and I can't see what it says. And I'm trying to remember YouTube, but it's bring that kit with you. Yeah, test it. Test it. Test it to destruction. You'll know if to buy it again and recommend it to friends. If we see it and go, what's that? That's amazing. I'll buy one. Uh, And then we can do a video blog on it. Uh, This is from whoever. Fantastic piece of kit. So that kind of brings us the full loop into RedMed. What are the challenges? What are the challenges as a healthcare provider? that now needs to operate integrated in a rescue expedition or disaster management team? What are some of the, some of the challenges are? The lack of resources or unfamiliar equipment, yeah. which is where your pre-planning needs to come in and test your equipment prior to going. Yeah, and it's like we've done with the international EMT courses. We have to teach ampules for epinephrine, adrenaline, depending where you are, because you can't get auto injectors here, and especially yeah. now the price has just gone through the roof. But people, do they now have to dose correctly from an ampule in the rain in the middle of the night if they've never seen one? Because uh, they're used to a country where it's solely auto-injectors. This is where you've got to do your research. Moving around in Kurdistan where we, we couldn't bring medicines in from outside. We had to buy locally. There was Indian medicines, Syrian medicines, German medicines. You need to do your research. Are the names slightly different? What are the tr- local trade names? Are they from a trusted source? Are they counterfeit? 
are you better off trying to do the documentation in advance and bringing them into country or are you happy to buy locally yeah, yeah. lots of different challenges uh, so you've got limited resources potentially limited time or a lot of time speed distance time speed distance time for getting in and getting out They're all... uh, like I've thrown you out and you've said I need 30 minutes sorry Chris you've got four uh, and it's putting people unless you've experienced it but I need 15 minutes it's almost like tactical medicine C. you tell the team leader how long you want as a medic and he tells you how long you've got yeah. with a helicopter I'm not waiting for you because we have the hierarchy rescue but to me my hierarchy is my helicopters first if the weather's like this we're not yeah obviously there are certain times we would risk but sorry you've got four minutes you need to do what you can in four minutes and a lot of the students I they can't think like that because they follow Dr. CBCD MIST whatever they're following a protocol which is good yeah but they can't take out what's most important. So he's got fractured arms and legs. He's not going to die in William Major. It's getting out of your comfort zone yeah. and getting used to that dynamic. Getting used to either you've got four minutes or we're leaving you. So you can either package, stabilise in four minutes and get out of there or we'll see you in four days. Yeah, because you're not getting back out. Or you're on Akutanga, like if you're on Everest. I know they do land some helicopters up there, but it's you're too high for us to fly. Everyone, we I speak to a lot of tourists who go, oh, we'll call a helicopter, you can come and get us. Not there, because we can't get it. We can fly past and wave out the window, but we can't hover. And it's if you do get there, you start to assess your patient. In the environments we're talking about, language is a huge yeah. challenge. You know, One of the rescues we did recently, we had a, a Guatemalan patient who didn't speak Spanish, spoke a a Mayan dialect and the next month we had a, a German tourist my German's a bit rusty from school and the military but you know we were talking between the team there was five different languages that slows down your patient assessment alright you can refer to your equipment but your equipment's probably limited we didn't have a cardiac monitor maybe because of the noise of the helicopter your stethoscope's useless so you now got limited tools limited ability to communicate limited time in which to affect so you literally is my airway fine? Have I got any other considerations? Let's package and go. And there's lots of advice out there on equipment. Medics, we take everything. Uh, if I had a bigger bag, I'd put more kit in it. But a lot of the time, like the German rescue, you took very limited because the altitude we were at, all the seats were out, all the doors were off. We stripped it down to get up to do what we did. So it's like... And we knew it was going to be a challenge in hiking after the rock. You knew through the pre-planning that we'd done, we're going to drop you here, you're going to have to rappel down waterfalls, machete, etc., etc. So you're, we're the casualty end of it, so you're, and we might not be able to pick you up. So how that affects your planning to what you take medically for your patient... And you team have, selection. Yeah, you're you only... You have to be realistic. You're only going to put somebody in that's physically capable of operating in those environmental conditions with that weight that's got the capability yeah. to survive and critically think under and pressure. most of your gear was kit for you. I know you took some drugs, blah, 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 syringes, etc. But you only had a small bag, because I can remember, because we said this is the weight limit, which 
even now with some of the doctors at SOS, I go, you can't fly like that, it's too heavy. Yeah, yeah. But we need it all. Well, you might need it all, but you need to take away what you Prioritise. Cut it in half, cut it in half Because again. They're, I'm going to use the word mainstream doctors, not all doctors are the same. And the flight nurses, they're the same. They need to have X, Y, and Z. They can't envisage just using B. Maybe just an MPA instead of an LMA or etc. It's, it's too heavy, you're not taking it. Yeah. Or, okay, take all your kit and there's your sleeping bag, there's your jacket. Pull it all out in your rucksack and a defib. Enjoy. And now we're <laughs> going to walk for three weeks to Mirador. Like 14,000 feet on yeah. a mountain. Or Mirador, where you're going to have blisters within three seconds, insect bites, and you'll probably be, as it's like with the military in Iraq and Afghanistan and Vietnam, their medic's the first one to go down because he's got all the kit. Too much gear. Plus all the kit everyone else carries. He's dehydrated because he's running around looking after everybody. Doesn't look after himself. So, yep. at full, full circle again to the course is the idea is to put people in that so they've got the real world experience of having done it. Evaluating people, activity and environment. Yeah. Looking at the risks and planning specifically for the risks. you will get real bites from insects, etc., etc., because you're in a, a jungle. Uh, scratches, cuts from whitewater rafting. You may stop for your lunch. They see the local, see uh, a lot of white faces, identify you as either a medical mission, whatever. They'll come straight out. So you'll probably get a real clinic with what you've got in your bag. And on the back of sharing local food or drinking the water from the rafts, we're probably going to get a load of GI problems afterwards. Not trying to put you off, guys, but it's operating in a real environment. If you want to go to expeditions, rescues, disasters, Cambrai, when we did Cambrai, is, for those who don't know, the whole hill fell on a village, but there was also a village at the top of the cliff. So you've now got two villages at the bottom uh, not hundreds only survived. and hundreds of dead it was incredible but so you've sad. now got broken sanitation you've got lots of dead people underneath the hygiene went out the window you've got insects and the which, temporary morgue you had rescue teams working 24 hours a day which is the reality of this is the job that it entails uh, so obviously we can't really recreate that I don't want to but a lot of lessons learned from it, though. Yeah. About looking after yourself and having the right equipment. But those lessons learned from that <clears throat> apply to every rescue, every expedition. So let's take, let's say we've got healthcare providers who've got an incredible amount of experience in their own spheres who want to join a rescue expedition disaster management team. We can use this core course to kind of direct them and give them some experience in the communications challenges, navigation, GPS, use of flares, risk management, matrices, uh, documentation, specifics to the environment. We'll talk a little bit about bites and stings, heat injury. We're going to talk about crew resource management, mission preparation, all that kind of stuff. It's not so much a medical course, more of a logistical preparation course for pre-qualified medical providers. With fun. With fun. It's an adventure holiday, really, putting things into context. But then, given that we're uh, an AISHI, ARMT, AMT Academy out in, SO, in SOS in Guatemala, we can bolt on continuing education courses on the back of that that medical providers can choose to focus on or specialise in to take their training even further. We've got 
wilderness first aid, wilderness EMT, advanced wilderness life support, pre-hospital trauma life support, advanced medical life support, tech, TCCC, tactical combat casualty care. Which one do you choose? I mean, the, the word of the week that I always like, it, it depends, doesn't it? But uh, also, as if, for example, as a couple of flight paramedics from the States coming down in a couple of months, they're due their PHTLS. So while they're here, they're not just going to fly to Guatemala for two days. They're going to come early, do the course, whitewater rafting, helicopters, learn a bit more. Recertify. Recertify. Buy some coffee and then do a medical mission. Do a medical mission to a remote clinic. We don't know where we're going. We might take them rafting or... What, the one down on the coast there's a little mangrove swamp with islands that you don't know even exists who've never seen medicine they're going to come and do all that because they need to be qualified anyway and they want a, a vacation but like us most medics are sad we read medical books we, re- we do CME we do CPD and this all counts because they're coming for a week they're coming for the two day course that they've said we need in this case, the guys need PHTLS. So they're going to come, have an awesome week, then do the course that we've got to do anyway, and then go, uh, having learned something. And then they can take that back to their respective units. A couple of the guys are flight paramedics. Some of the guys work out in Iraq, etc. And they can take, not everything, but little bits. And if it helps save one person, prevent the risk or an injury of another, then to me that's achieved. Been worth it. It's been worth it. Yeah. Uh, it's about saving life, patient advocacy, which people forget. Uh, and it contributes to, to our corporate social responsibility mission and, and really where our heart is in Guatemala, improving pre-hospital standards, contributing to the community through course fees, through the purchase of the manuals and the coffee and through having external experts come down and help us out as volunteers on these courses, we're going to continue to do medical missions for underserved communities, um, transport of critical care patients from the outskirts and under-resourced hospitals back into the capital city, and continue our training of local doctors and teachers, rescue teams. And plus people who come, they can come under the umbrella of SOS, we can put you on an ambulance, we can put you on critical care, so... You a get the real world experience that you probably get in your own, but in a slightly different sense because of the nature of healthcare out here. Or we'll throw you all in a Land Rover after the end of a course. We'll take you and do a three day clinic where you'll see so many people it will be unbelievable, and you will treat everything from dengue, malaria, machete wounds, half chopped off fingers, scalds. You get everything. Yeah, it's, it's great for the aspiring medic. It's great for the, the medic that's been sat on an oil rig for the last few years, seeing very little. You get more exposure to patients, dust off the rust on your skills and knowledge, put yourself into a challenging environment, practice your Spanish if you want, and get some certified hours. Which we get one of the doctors to stamp and sign, so yeah. you've got a portfolio of evidence to take back. So when you're reapplying for certification, what have you done? I did. 28 hours remote clinic in the middle of Guatemala plus this course this is signed by doctors you've got that CPD that we all have to do as well I have to juggle between flying and aviation standard CPD for want of a better word and medical and it's you then get a you get a complete 
it's like a medic's holiday. It's like, I want to go on it. <laughs> I yeah. don't want to teach it. I want to go on it and do it because it'll be fun. You learn and you're doing it for real. And like I say, if it just changes the concepts of one thing to make one person's life that much easier, maybe I didn't know how to put a rucksack on properly. Now my back's better. So in 10 years, you haven't got a broken back like the rest of us. That, to me, has achieved the aim. Uh, yeah. And they've got a load of photographs and they're all smiling and happy, hopefully. We've been doing these courses for years. It started off when we ran our first hybrid EMT, wilderness EMT course. Uh, we've since gone on to do paramedic courses and uh, big shout out to Dr. Ben Mattingly and Dr. Gabriel Cade who helped us develop our first advanced wilderness life support course out in Guatemala. We've since ran two of those courses in Guatemala and another two in Mexico, bouncing around the high altitude mountains, the jungle, rafting, experience the local culture. Just incredible adventures whilst also getting your international certification, meeting amazing people. And between those adventures, those courses, not only in Guatemala and Mexico, but also Argentina, we met just such a bunch of incredible nurses, paramedics, surgeons, dentists. And the information, aside from the course curriculum, the information and experience you're able to glean from those people coming together. Or even a business amazing. card. Yeah. To say, oh, I'm going to Peru, or I've one of the guys from a TV company say, oh, I'm down in the Amazon. But I've spoken to Dr. Whoever I met on this course. He's sorted me out. And so you build your network as well. And it's not who you know, it's knowing where to get the information. When you're out on a limb, you've got 30 seconds left on your satellite phone credit and the wheels come off, yeah. who do you call? Who's your go-to man? phone a friend, who are you going to choose? Yeah, who's your go-to man for this particular case? So, yeah, hopefully uh, we've already got these NAMT courses, AWS courses, Wilderness EMT, etc. They're running in Guatemala constantly in English. Uh, we also do them in Spanish. The RED course is going to be launched later this year along with the manual and the online materials. But uh, in the meantime, the podcast's going to go, and hopefully with your ideas, motivation, questions, the next couple of episodes are going to be looking at equipment selection, case studies from rescues and expeditions disaster management that we've done in guatemala or around the middle east and other parts of the world we're going to look at a little bit on uh, crew resource management which is creeping more and more into our service um, looking at mission preparation from your risk management um, all the matrices etc all your responsibilities roles the legal aspects of deploying as a team member altitude is illness jungle issues, desert arctic issues and we'll look a little bit about things like snake bites, anti-venom active shooter, it's just such a huge field and we'll gradually develop the podcast as we get more questions and advice and, and interest from you guys so I guess that almost wraps it up, um, it's time I'm, for another coffee and I've finished my tea, <laughs> me too, I need another coffee, which kind of brings us back around to where this podcast is supported and sponsored by SOS Coffee, a gourmet Guatemalan coffee that goes to support our under, underserved communities in Guatemala. Every cup helps. If you come down on the courses, you want to buy a couple of bags to take home, really it'd be much appreciated. Every single cup helps to, uh, to look after the community here that really don't have anything. So without further ado, let's look forward to the next episode. Thanks very much, guys, and Thank look forward you. to your comments. Take care.